Michael. Uh, Michael. Uh, Woody. Hi. I, wow. I know you're going to be on the show tonight, too. Oh, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen you since I, I fired you from Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Wait, usually you don't do these late night things that much, right? Well, yeah, let's just say I, I, I think I'm going to need all the good publicity I can get soon. Nah, that's not true. Come on. Hey, everybody's saying how great your new movie is. Oh, by the way, how's Mia? Suspicious. Oh, that's, sorry to hear that. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Wait, so what are you, what are you here promoting? Uh, Gung Ho? Can I meet her? Excuse me? Uh, nothing. <laughs> oh, shut up, Darren. <laughs> nothing. So who else is on the show? I, I don't know. I think... Uh, Ralph Macchio and Jamie Gertz from that other movie that came out last week, Crossroads. Oh, boy, I've never even heard of these people. Yeah, they're pretty young, but, you know, kids, you gotta love them, right? I refuse to answer on the grounds that I may incriminate myself. What? Uh, just practicing. <laughs> there's, an, there's an elephant in this room, and and talk about him I must. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. And welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 42 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear judgmental friends, Fred Berman and Dan Matisse. This week, we travel back to March 14th, 1986, and the week's three major releases, Gung Ho, starring Michael Keaton and Getty Watanabe, Crossroads, starring Ralph Macchio, Joe Seneca, and Jamie Gertz, and Hannah and Her Sisters, starring Mia Farrow, Barbara Hershey, and Diane Wiest. And there are other things I could say, but I'm going to move on. But before we <laughs> dive into the week's films, Fred and Dan, where were you boys in March of 1986? I was in eighth grade. I can I can tell Dan is trying to figure out where yes. where was I where was I mm-hmm. where, yes. where was I going where was I? so he's gonna judge it but so I'm just gonna jump in and say I was in eighth grade so that means you were in seventh grade Dan. seventh grade seventh grade that's how it works uh. I was in eighth grade at Manhasset High School my final year of junior high school and there were two things that stand out about this time. One, I was entertaining the masses with the sweet sounds of Billy Ocean. Wow. And two, I was making comic strips about superhero fetus is. Fe- I don't know what the plural is. Fe- fetus. Fetus. <laughs> yes. I think fetuses is the plural. Fetuses. Wait, what do you want to hear about first? The fetuses or the Billy Ocean? Oh. Billy Ocean. Billy Ocean. Okay. All right. Uh, around this time, a little movie came out a little before this called Jewel of the Nile. Yes. Which was the sequel to Romancing the Stone, which is a movie that I loved. And I also really enjoyed Jewel of the Nile. Me now, too. let me ask you gentlemen something. Go ahead. What is better than Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito traipsing through the desert looking for a jewel? I'm going to tell you, Michael Douglas, <laughs> Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito traipsing on stage with Billy Ocean in white oh, tuxedos, saying yes. when the going gets tough. The tough get going. Yes. 
So the that video was my favorite song at that time. I oh, love it was, that video. It was huge. That video was everywhere and everything. I couldn't get enough of it, and neither apparently could the eighth grade class of Manhasset Junior High School because they, there was a talent show that year. Oh my God. And Josh and I came up with the idea of recreating that video on stage. So we had- Wow. Josh was Michael Douglas. Our friend Joe Salvatore was Billy Ocean. We had a friend Dave Anglin played, he was a bass player. He was just in the back playing bass. I had a, a styrofoam, guitar player that was left over from my bar mitzvah, the Rock and Freddie B bar mitzvah mm. that I've spoken about. That was just in the back as the guitar, the styrofoam guitar player. <laughs> styrofoam guitar. We had, and then we, I, I was Danny DeVito, of course. <laughs> and I took, I took the big sax solo and everything, slid across the stage on my knees, the crowd went wild. And then we recruited our, our English teacher, Eileen Hutchinson, who, who sadly has passed on, we uh, recruited her to be the Kathleen Turner role. Wow. And we, we choreographed the whole thing. We did all the dance moves. We wore the white suits. And the people went nuts. Wow. And I, and I, I actually have this performance digitized because Josh, I think I mentioned <gasps> a couple episodes ago, Josh no. sent me this thumb drive of all our old movies yes. that's on there. So wow. opening weekend podcast listeners for the reasonable price of $19.99, <laughs> you can have a copy <laughs> of When the Going Gets Tough. Yeah, wow. no, it's all digitized. Sweet merch. Yeah. And I showed it to, uh, I showed it to Kate recently and she's like, wow, you, you, you're really serious. You're really taking those dancers seriously. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, That's so that really was fun. Awesome. So I remember we did that. And then the other thing was in seventh and eighth grade, you start to take health class. You sure right? do. Right. So seventh grade, I was with Mr. Minerly, our gym teacher. Eighth grade, I can't remember who the teacher was, but that's when we start to do the sex ed or so it starts to dive more into sex ed. You're changing oh, we're transitioning body. to fetus. You're changing body. Yeah. We're transitioning to fetus. We're transitioning to fetus okay, right now. Okay, good, yes. good. Yeah, got, yeah, It's a it. smooth segue to, to the fetus. <laughs> Dan just woke up, so he's really- I'm it's, so sorry, he's, ladies he's having a hard time following. I thought you were going to say Danny DeVito stepped in as a guest instructor or something like that. I thought you were still on the other story. You were expecting something more exciting from that story that I just told. No, I loved it. I just didn't, I, no. I forgot. Oh, oh, there's two stories and this is the fetus story. No, that I'm was it. I just, sorry. I just built it up way too much. I built up great. a Billy Ocean video. No, it was no, great. Way, did not. Way too it's much. a great video. I'm yeah. thinking about it right now. It's really good. <laughs> We did. Um, uh, we were doing sex ed, and so I was learning. Much as I'm, I'm discovering my son, who's the same age. He's oh he's God. he's uh, the same age as I was back then. Mm. So at the time, I was learning all these new terms and uterus and fallopian tubes and cervix and fetus <sighs> and this. And it was everywhere, and I put it into cartoon form. Which gentleman? Oh, oh man, God Almighty! I have right here. Now the listeners can't see this, but I have it right here. I Some made screenshots. Yeah, we'll do screenshots. I made, it's a superhero comic. It's a spoof of the Fantastic Four, but it is called The Fetus Four. <laughs> and there was Mr. Fetus, uh, who's elastic, <laughs> Ben Fetus, alias the Fetus Thing, the Invisible Fetus, and the Fetus Torch. And yeah, and uh, I was looking through this. Oh, and oddly enough, it was idea. The idea was by <laughs> Brian Sullivan and Fred Berman. Brian Sullivan is Suds. 
He's he's uh, oh. I've talked about him before. Yeah, I'll give him a little credit. Finally getting some some credit but, for Suds. Yeah, for something. <laughs> a Christian name for Suds. And <laughs> speaking of a Christian name, so this is interesting because apparently I was I was really pushing some some hot button topics back then, Ooh, and I didn't even I realize know. it because the premise of the fetus four oh, is no. they all live in Wombtown, USA, which is a part <laughs> of. Wait, I want to get her name right. Oh, it's Miss Schizofart is her name. Of course it is. Who is sort of, in my dreams, looks similar to like Divine in Hairspray. Uh, So they live there. And the the whole thing, the the nemesis is the the, the character of Max von Roachballs, who is a well-known crazed abortionist. Oh, no. And so he's going to get the fetus for... By giving Mrs. Schizofart an abortion. Oh, he, no. He, 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 he. That's him. You can see him there. Oh, my God. I think you can oh see him. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that was the whole thing. And there I, there were other characters. I did a spinoff, actually. There's a character is introduced in the, in the fetus for uh, the character of Spermbo, which was, you guessed it, Rambo. Rambo oh, yeah. But as, <laughs> as sperm. <laughs> It's it, uh, this is exactly how I would imagine you processing your first yeah. understandings of, of sex oh. and procreation. Yeah, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, but they they somehow the the, the fetus force somehow foil uh, Doctor Roachball's nefarious plans, and uh, chaos ensues. Uh, I, you know what? Yeah. Again, for nineteen ninety nine, you can purchase a copy. Oh, okay, all right, that, understandable. Um, understandable. The fetus force. I think. I think health class probably would have happened for me at the, around this time or the first time. You know, it's so funny that because first it, film strip or whatever, the first little movie right. about your changing body. I think that was sixth yeah. grade that I saw that. So, well, did you got be. had you guys read? Um, uh, it's so funny. We were just talking about this. Had you have you guys mm-hmm. read um, by this time? Where did I come from? Did you read that when you were a little little kid? Oh yeah. yeah, my my parents had that, and we they kept it in the basement, and my sister and I would read it all the time. Mm. And like <laughs> around the time, I feel like when I was like fourteen or fifteen, my dad came in. He's like, "Here, read this." I'm like, "Yeah, I got it, Dad. We got it. we've it's already like, oh, it. All right, as you were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, fine. Then we'll keep this in the basement, and we'll never speak of it again. <laughs> uh, no, I remember reading that at like a neighbor's house. Like we didn't even have it, but like we all went over there for dinner or something. They just had it, and I remember being like. Oh my God! What? Why are they so hairy? Why are they so hairy? Why are these people so hairy? Because they showed all the hair and all the yeah. you know everything. Um, and so that was my first. But then we get to health class, and it's all clinical. You know, it's like the beginning of that movie for keeps. It's all the clinical shots mm-hmm. and the diagrams, and and then you know, um, I guess after a while, you start to sort of. Uh, 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 it becomes not clinical, right? You start to sort of go, oh, here are. Here are the things in our society that represent masculinity and femininity that 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 represent sex or sex. You become sexualized, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen there in health in health class. But what does happen is extreme like embarrassment <laughs> at what you know or what you don't know when you're raising your hand and going, "What's that?" You know. So I remember I remember that. You know, I remember being sort of a little embarrassed, and everybody's just sort of looking at each other and, and sort of looking around and going. Uh, do you know about this? Do you, who knows about what and sort of sizing each other up in a way you guys remember, recall that in a way? Well, now it's interesting at at my kid's school, they separate it. They health class, they have have boys in one health class and girls in one health class. Oh, wow. Which 
I, I don't, I guess that's better. Maybe just to avoid that, just to be like, so this way we can talk openly and you won't feel embarrassed. I'm assuming that's the reasoning. I guess that must be it. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. Yeah, see, at, at this time it was like the, the if anyone raised their hand and, and, and asked a question, it was, you were risking like embarrassment about what you didn't know. I guess yeah. that's the best way of I would sure, think that's yeah. still true, you know, yeah. I imagine so. But the big memory that I have of this time uh, was 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 uh, this song? Meet the Mets, meet the Mets. Step right <laughs> up and greet the Mets. Bring your kitties, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really socking the ball. They're doing the things and they're hitting the wall. The Mets were everything to me at this time. Billy Ocean it's- has a great recording of that, actually. <laughs> when the Mets get tough. <laughs> That's right. What happened the year they here? won the World Series? This is That's the beginning, right. gentlemen. Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, Dwight Gary Gooden, Carter, yeah. Keith Hernandez, uh, Bobby Ojeda, Wally Backman, uh, 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 Mookie Wilson, Lenny Mookie. Dyson. Yeah, Mookie, uh, I mean, yeah. just the greatest. The great Ray Knight, just the greatest team, the greatest team in baseball that's ever been assembled gets assembled. The, the finishing <laughs> touches come in right now at this time and so what happens is they start this improbable run to the championship that culminates in the greatest still everyone all baseball fans go the greatest world series ever that Mm -hmm. happens in october of 86 but now right now spring training for the most improbable run and the thing about the mets was if you want to read a great book about the mets uh read uh the year the bad guys won uh, and it's hmm. and it's because they really were the bad guys of baseball. They were assholes on top of everything else, oh, wow. on top of like being great and having Gooden and Strawberry and everything, and the and the cocaine and everything else that was going on. They, they were <laughs> all those they good were things. All those good things <laughs> on top of all the good things like the cocaine, like the cocaine, right? <laughs> the they were just drug use. They were just jerks. They're just assholes to everybody, you know. And they <laughs> they had the attitude and the swagger, and they were kind of jerks. And so they. they, they you know, the, you'd open up the paper in the morning. It would be like, you know, uh, Tim Tuffler, Rick Aguilera and Ron Darling caught, you know, caught out at a bar in a bar brawl. That literally happened, you know, on Long Island somewhere. They went out and got in a fight. You know, this was like, and they were yeah. the nice guys of the team. Meanwhile, you had the assholes of the team like Doug Sisk, who was drunk every night in the dugout. So so it was like the 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 um the, the way that they carried themselves was very unbaseball. They were the mm. they were sort of the jerks of the league. And then they had this improbable rise. And and I followed it the entire, the entire year. And so did everybody in school. And so did my whole family. It was a real sort of bonding time because yeah. this team was, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, everybody rallied around this sort of team of asshole misfits who then won <laughs> it all. In, Maybe in, that's in why fashion. because I, I have a very clear memory of coming home from Hebrew school mm. with Rich Akoka, who will come up later for during when we talk about crossroads mm. and being, and, and th- we were listening to the radio and that's when we heard that they won. And I was really upset because I wasn't a Mets fan. I, I was a Yankees fan. And, and I remember feeling very betrayed that all my friends yeah, who were Yankee over. fans suddenly switched over. <laughs> right. And I, and, yep. and I Fair wonder, and I, but yep. I don't know, like there's still a New York team yeah. And, you know, me being from Long Island, too. So I don't know why. What, and But I wonder if that's it. Maybe like I knew instinctively that they, they were a bunch of assholes. I, I don't know what it was, but oh, yeah, people I, I was did not feel happy that, that they won. Yeah, well, no, people did very, feel that way. Like the brand, it's almost like it's 
good branding to be like the the assholes, <laughs> the rapscallions, the because yeah. the Yankees, yeah. you know, especially in the Steinbrenner, it's like, like clean. You know, you hear that all the time, like players right. come from other teams and it's like, you know, known for like their <laughs> mullet. And it's like, goodbye. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the Yankees are like kind of this clean cut or they make that great joke in, in gung ho. And the Japanese team comes on to play oh, softball. Right. And it's like, yeah. they love yes. the fucking Yankees. And it's like, well, don't they look like every baseball team? Yes. But there's something about the branding of the Yankees is like these kind of, you know, like perfectly quaffed robots or something and yeah yeah, it's uh yeah it's a very different you know so like the bad boys of new york baseball is like that's actually probably a very fruitful designation for the for the mets in a way especially you know you you say that and it's like oh yeah they did know what they were doing by being the anti-yankees they really really sort of did i was what i was doing was very uh was uh, close to what uh fred was doing i was in the for the first time i was in the high school talent contest it was mm. my it's my freshman year of high school and this is i had just started performing the semester before i had done my first play i, I talked about it uh, however many episodes ago about like being in the mouse that roared and playing a soldier and getting a laugh with an ad lib and then all of a sudden i was like that's it i want to <laughs> perform now you know after uh, 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 having yeah. been incredibly shy all through junior high um and so now in the spring, I was doing I was doing my first musical. I was doing um, Anything Goes, the first musical I ever did. I was uh, I was in the chorus, but I was the understudy of Moonface Martin, the character Moonface Martin. Yes. He's a great, great, funny, terrific character. And I yeah. I love being in it. I remember having a a dance number like I was partnered with um, the the uh, the girl who was playing uh Moonface's uh his Miss Tessmacher kind of was the the character <laughs> I had to do this big dance with and she was the really sweet funny girl and very um she was very uh developed at this age whatever ah. whatever grade she was in and and one of her straps this like spaghetti strap on her popped like like <gasps> while we're dancing and oh, while we did the dance we both had to kind of negotiate keeping her dress up on her during the whole dance and we did it somehow like because like she just had to like do things and we just had to like do the dance and like kind of (laughs) hold it because we were in performance and it was like otherwise she was going to show everything to the the high school um yeah i just had such a good time doing that and then i was in the the school talent show uh also mimicking something that i loved on tv i was doing uh I think I've talked about this before. I It was before I had done stand-up. I hadn't written any stand-up yet. I wouldn't do that until my sophomore year. But in freshman year, I was so obsessed with Billy Crystal and Saturday Night Live, <laughs> I wrote my own version of Fernando's Hideaway. That kind of Ooh, I, I have did, a picture of you as Fernando. You do. And so yeah, I, had, I, I wrote this sketch and two of the actresses who were in um, the school play and school musical that I had done, I had written parts for them and, you know, and I just did it like a, mm-hmm. just wrote this sketch, this five, 10 minute sketch and did that as part of the talent show. And uh, I, yeah. And then, and then the next year I was like, I'm going to actually do stand up comedy now. I'm going to, I'm going to try and do something uh, awesome. on my own that didn't depend on, you know, having a little cast with me. And, uh, and it was okay, great. Dan, Dan, I don't want to put, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, please go ahead. You're at a talent show. Okay. Right. Young man comes out. Yes. And does Hernando's hideaway. Right. Little sketch. Yes. The act after that is a few people doing a recreation of the video of when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Go ahead. Who takes the prize? 
Oh. Imagine them in your head. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. It's, 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 tough. it's tough. You're, you're like at a crossroads, right? I, I'm How really at a crossroads. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something that I know unequivocally. If the third act is Mrs. Schizofart singing Meet the Mets, that's who wins the prize. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. We sure do. And it's not. Crossroads. <laughs> he was searching for the lost song. You could be the first man to record it. For a piece of fame and fortune. Like Clapton did with Crossroads, the Rolling Stones did it with Love and Vain. And he was looking to get him there. Welcome to Bluesville, son. This is the real thing. This ain't no book. Lightning boy and blind dog. What the hell are you guys supposed to be, huh? Both blues man. I'm the blues man. He's from Long Island. Ralph Macchio is Eugene, a Juilliard-trained guitar player nicknamed Lightning Boy, who tours the Deep South with an old blues man claiming to be the great blind dog Willie, played by Joe Seneca, on a mission to discover the long-lost final song of blues legend Robert Johnson. Directed by Walter Hill and also starring Fred Berman's cousin, the lovely and talented Jamie Gertz, Crossroads earned $2 million over its opening weekend and just $5.8 million during its theatrical run. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of the wonderful Jamie Gertz and the rest of Crossroads? So this is not the Britney Spears one. <laughs> did you watch the Britney Spears one? I think that... I watched the wrong one. She did look a lot like Ralph Macchio, and it, it seemed to resemble what you were describing. But I was like, boy, Britney Spears really let her know. No, that wasn't okay. that. Wasn't no, the one? It's the wrong no. one. No, this movie. It's rare that you can. Why didn't this movie work? It's rare that you can chart the moment. Oh yeah, the moment when it be, when it goes from being a, a, a something interesting that I was intrigued by and sort of leaning leaning into and going, this is gonna be this is gonna be a hidden gem. Yep. And when it makes its turn into, oh, this is actually not that they, they 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 took it off the the road. <laughs> they took the they took the wrong path on the crossroad, and and now right. it's it's. All the magic is out of it. And it's the moment when Machio gets the hat. As soon as that hat goes on <laughs> that idiot's head. <laughs> that, this early? Movie, that, that, that early? That early? Yes, that early. That early. This movie should have stayed in the rest home. <laughs> oh, boy. Should have stayed in the rest home and never left the rest home because that was it was very intriguing. All that stuff was great. But when he gets that hat. It's all over. It's all over. That's the worst I, hat I've ever seen. It's a, not a good hat, but I, I'm awful. amazed that you track it, that you pinpoint it there. At the, it's not like the hat starts talking to him and telling him he goes to Hufflepuff or something. It doesn't, it doesn't jump the shark so much with the hat. Any hat that guy goes on. You say Hufflepuff to everybody. Stop saying Hufflepuff. <laughs> The no, that hat. It's so funny that it's tied to the hat for you. It's absolutely tied to the hat because the movie loses all credibility. Whenever the hat's off, I was like, 
Oh God! Hats off to this movie. Whenever this hat is off, <laughs> but isn't that sort of? The, but isn't that sort of the point that the hat? he's no? Well, oh. yes, did I that miss I did. something? Is the hat magical? Is it? Does it put people in Hufflepuff? Maybe I didn't pay attention because we're giving a lot of weight to this hat. No, but I, I think Dan, what you're saying. Go ahead. Is the, I feel like that's the point because there's an appropriation aspect to this movie that Joe Seneca's character keeps throwing shade because I I remember very mm. vividly and 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 you know I'll, I'll I'll wait till I go into my deep thoughts about it but I go remember in, I'm know, done for me it's all about the hat <laughs> <laughs> I mean I have a I you know this this movie has a has a close place in my heart I'm not saying that I love it but because I just remember seeing it when it opened because mm. it, for for two reasons really. Well, a couple of reasons. The biggest one, though, was because of my cousin Jamie, yeah. who I'm, you know, I wasn't super close with at the time. And I'm still like, we're in touch. I'm very close with her, her brother, Michael. But like we, you know, I, I had met her at this point. We were tracking her career and this was her first starring sure. role. So I was we were very excited. Oh, Obviously, wow. I loved Ralph Macchio mm -hmm. uh, from Karate Kid. And there was the music aspect of it, too, which I'll get to in a second with Steve Vai. But mm -hmm. uh, but I remember seeing it in the theaters and and being a little disappointed. And a lot of it was by, because I, I was taken aback at that time by how antagonistic Joe Seneca's character was. I was like, well, oh God, he's, he's like a mean old man. And for, for some yeah. reason, I, I envisioned him to be something else from the trailers. I thought he was going to be more, maybe I thought he was going to be more of like a Miyagi. Maybe that's what it was, like this nurturing, almost mystical character. Mm. And he, and in rewatching it, I, I really appreciated that because right from the beginning, he's like, fuck you. You're not a blue. You're a white kid from, from Long Island. Right, and I right. feel like when he, when That's he great. put that hat on his head, he gives him shade there too. He's like, Hey, isn't this hat great? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That hat's great. Like right off the bat, he's like, you look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. And so the whole movie. So then why keep the goddamn hat? He should, be, Joe Seneca be, should have taken the hat, stomped on it. And burned well, it. because I think the again, and I'm not sure, and I, I have trouble with this movie trying to figure because it doesn't work for me either. There's moments of it that I enjoy. I love I love the overall idea of it. I love the the, yes, the mythical it's a great quality. Idea. I love the whole, you know, the crossroads myth and that whole story. And I think mm. it's such a great like the whole Robert Johnson yeah. folktale myth. I think it's a great idea for a movie if someone chasing that and you know the mm -hmm. and apparently you know the, the, i was reading that the 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 guy who wrote the screenplay was it is he was at tish at nyu and he worked with this old guy and he thought who was a harmonica player and he's like oh wouldn't that be wild if he was like the missing player of robert <laughs> john like that's how the where the idea came from right. you know willie i came down here to learn robert johnson's lost song not to get slapped in the face by an old man or find out i gotta become king of the hobos and go i'm sorry your life turned out so hard eugene but I got my own business to tend to down here. And I don't mean for you to slow me down. Business? What business? Personal business. And given your attitude, you got no reason to know what. My attitude? What the hell's the matter with my attitude? I have a great attitude. You got your mind made up about how everything works, don't you? How you ever gonna learn anything new when you know everything already? Yeah, it's it's not a great hat. He looks silly in it. He looks so silly in it. But, but I think, I don't know, maybe Did that's the Did you see the, the rest point? of his clothes? It's 1986. <laughs> he looks silly in everything. <laughs> you know you know the top he's wearing? B. Arthur wore that in the pilot of Golden Girls. That jacket <laughs> flared at the, at the fucking waist. <laughs> like, I was like, what is he wearing? Yeah, come on. But I think I think that's the whole thing. I mean, I, I to me, the movie doesn't lose it at the hat. 
the movie. <laughs> the movie it loses never- it when Jamie Gertz leaves the movie. And then I was like, not interested anymore. And then it's like a, it's a half hour of playing, playing music with the devil, I guess. And I was like, yeah, it's Go devil away. went down to Georgia. But for me at like that, that age, that was my favorite part. Like that I get to that. me of course, I get that. was, yeah. was the payoff. And I, I actually love, and first of all, let me say, and I'm not just paying lip service because she's my cousin. Jamie's, I think she's great in the movie. Terrific. She is. Um, she's great. I think Joe Seneca is great. I love Joe Seneca. He He's makes so the movie good. for me. Yeah. And, and again, good. like I said, when I was a kid, I didn't really get the weight of his performance. And I love that he was hard with him and didn't mm-hmm. cut him any slack and was not this nurturing, you know, it's, it's so funny. It's like the Karate Kid is like, let me. Let me help you appropriate my culture. Let me teach you. And, <laughs> totally. and this one is like, who the oh fuck God. do you think you are? And I, yeah. I, I like that. And I, I liked Ralph Macchio in it. I'm not the biggest Ralph Macchio fan, but I, I thought he was okay. I thought he yeah. was good. He's got a very open quality. Is it me or just he? He does he have a very strange walk. He's got a weird. Yeah, gait. he does. He does. It's like he doesn't know how to walk. I thought the exact <laughs> same thing, Fred. It just didn't. Uh, it didn't quite work for me. Like I wanted to see the real journey. Of, you know, like this kid is trying to make his name. You know, if he can find out about this mythical 30th song i mean that the myth in that sense you know like chasing this idea or chasing this this legend is one thing but then when it's literally like the fucking devil's got a pact and a contract and i'm like oh this is the third movie we've watched in less than a year of doing this podcast where about about musicians making deals with the devil i'm like enough already right Right. well but but you know what what could have been really interesting because look you have to do that's that's the robert johnson myth i mean that's the whole thing that he made the deal with the devil on the crossroads yeah. right what what might have been more interesting <laughs> is if if they went a little deeper and rather than made it because I, I agree with everything you're saying Jason and there's something about it that's the the movies I always wanted to love this movie more when I first saw it and even now and I wonder if it would have been if it would have been a better movie if rather than like literally, He's got a he's got a, a deal with the devil, but to somehow make that more of a metaphor yes, of what the black what it, blues men had to deal with, yes. you know, sort of like you know we were talking about the Oscar noms before we started recording, you know, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is up, and that mm-hmm. that's what well, that's so much of, is about that about mm. this black music that has been stolen by white people, yeah. and white people have become rich off it. So if maybe that was something that maybe. I don't know. Maybe if the devil was a, was was a white man, maybe that would have been hitting yeah. you over the head or something. It doesn't have to be a white man, but instead, it's like literally like the devil walks up wearing the outfit from uh, Poltergeist to the other side, and then you got the CGI. <laughs> like, I mean, I just it was just too it was just too stupid. For, I was like, I, I was like, well, what are we doing now? What is this movie well, the, now? The the the, the, me crazy. the way you do that, the way you do that is you have Ralph Macchio ultimately believe in the myth. And that never happens in this movie. You're right, right Dan. Up That's, to the yes. end, he's going, man, I don't believe in this crap. I don't believe in this crap. He, yeah, Joseph, that means I, I can beat you because I don't believe in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah and, right. and that's pr- that's problematic. You have to ultimately have a moment where Machio believes in the mythos and where he buys into it and he goes, oh my God, and has a big realization of like, wow, I have not lived the blues. You have to live the blues in order to play the blues, right? right? Or you flip it, Dan, you start off because you're exactly right. You flip it where maybe that's how it starts with he does believe 
that myth that Robert Johnson, well, he must, he did, he went to the crossroads to sell his soul to the devil. Right. And then it's that realization. No, it's not that it's something maybe much worse where like he had to, it's got nothing to do with the right. devil. It's got to do with what he did. Right. Yeah. His music some sort was of stolen moral or compromise something. The deal or with some the devil of, yeah. is you're going to actually lose the legacy of this yeah. music. Or to, there, there's more, yeah, there's more to just making a deal with the devil. You have to have a lived in life. You have to go through right. pain and sorrow. And yes. to go back to what you were saying, Jason, I actually, yes, I was bummed when Jamie left because I thought she was wonderful. Yeah. I was really happy they stayed the course with that though. I thought that was a great thing that- Not having her know, come back, yeah. That she was like, oh, yeah. I'm out, I'm gone. I thought that was, that was a pretty uh, a yeah. brave and truthful I know. I was like, make. I was like, is she going to wind up showing up again at the end? I was glad she didn't too, for that reason. Exactly. Cause he has yeah. to have his heart broken for real. I mean, it's not play. That's the other thing. The other this thing. this movie not, only it's, it's goes, like, only goes three quarters of the way on every choice. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It never, even the ending, it's just like, Oh, it's the ending was abrupt. Uh, yeah. Very yeah. abrupt. And very stupid. Abrupt. Is this, so this is Walter Hill. Yeah. 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 48 yeah. hours. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. It's, 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 there are times in this one, it's very skillfully directed and times that it isn't. Don't worry, I'll be out of here in the morning. Look, I really didn't mean anything. I'm just, just a little rattled about everything. Okay, I'm sorry. I'd really like you to hang with us. I mean, I, I don't want you to take off. It's not like I don't like you. I really like you. That was nice. Really? Yeah. The other other big misstep in this is make something, Walter Hill, damn it, make something of the first time they play together. You know, I was like, oh, this is going to be a build up to their first moment. That's what it felt like. He plays a little bit of guitar and he plays a little bit of harmonica and they go back and forth and it's going to be some sort of merging of the two, you know, and it's no, nothing, no moment. (laughs) They just play. They just just play. And then after it dropped, Macho was like, that was great. Right. And he's like, "Ah, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. It's like, oh, man. I'm sorry, Nick Nolte was also in the movie. Pretty much. Now, I have to uh, say that the big thing for me, the guitar battle, that's what I went to go see. And that's what I've rewatched over and over again. And I was talking about this guy, Richard Coca. Richard Coca was a kid that I went to school with, and he was the best guitarist in school. And he could play that, which is like a Paganini riff, Um, Mm. which interesting. I read the reason they did that is because... Paganini, there was a, 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 a rumor that he had also sold his soul to the devil in exchange oh, that's for his cool. violin virtuosity. Huh, cool. But like, I remember Rich could play that whole, that the thing that Ralph Macchio eventually yeah. beats the devil with. Later this year in the summer, David Lee Roth's Eat Him and Smile album came out uh-huh. and it was a huge thing. This is neither here nor there with the, for the movie, <laughs> but it was important to me at the time because this was David Lee Roth left Van Halen 5150 had come out and you're wondering, you know, David Lee Roth's got a solo album coming out. You're like, who who are you going to get that could beat Eddie Van Halen? Who could you possibly get? And the Yankee Rose video comes out and you're like, holy shit, that's the dude from Crossroads. That's the fucking <laughs> devil. That's how you beat Eddie Van Halen. So wait, so was devil. Steve Vai not that known widely? Was, I mean, you knew who he was, but- not really. No, oh, I didn't really wow, know who okay. he was. I think oh, I wow. think if you were if you were in that bit, like Ry Cooter, I was reading an interview with mm-hmm. him. Ry Cooter did all the music, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, I think Steve Vai was a guy that everyone knew, like a studio. He played with Zappa, like he'd been around, but oh I gosh, don't think yeah, he wow. was in. 
he wasn't in the public eye. Every time I think of this movie, I want it to be better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it just, I, I, I don't know. It, it misses the mark. It falls flat once yeah. it gets the hat. <laughs> now, I, I did, I did get a message. I, oh, yeah. I, I sent a message to Jamie just asking her if she had Yay. any memories about her. And she was very kind. She got back and she said, um, let's say, let, let me see. She said, uh, you know, I love that you're highlighting Crossroads. I don't remember that much. It was my first starring role in a movie and we shot in Mississippi and I'd never been down South before. Mm. Ralph Macchio is a true professional that had learned how to play guitar like a pro, which side note, he really, he, he He's nailed doing it. It, it, it looks amazing. I kept thinking, I was incredible. like, I was like he, it looks great. I mean, yeah. he, this is, I, I kept thinking at first, I was like, is this going to be a lot of like, Watch it. Cutaways. Cut to the, yeah, cut to like his <laughs> no, hands. Somebody else's hands. I was very impressed with that. Yeah. yeah. It's great. So she continues. She says, it was very important that we got the blues and the history of selling your soul to the devil for the blues just right. Mm. Rye Cooter was in charge of all things blues on that movie. He was the guru. Mm. I haven't seen the movie since it opened, so I don't know if it holds up. Hope this helps. I'm not great at looking back. Always just trying to keep moving forward. Hope mm. you understand. So, <laughs> not like yeah. us. All we do is look back and go. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, God, I guess we it's all so about nostalgia. <laughs> the implication there is offensive. Yeah, yeah. Let's like, keep hey, moving guys. forward, Fred. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a great look on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's our brand. This is our brand, Jamie Gertz. We look yeah. back and only this look back. This is all I do. Just look back at the the past. All right. Well, that's all right. Her her lovely note is going to change my Sheila account. No, oh. not, I, I don't think so. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's good to hear that they were really trying. No, um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm kidding. I really was in. I really enjoy, I was like, man, I really like this movie. I, I two thirds of it, I loved. And then I, I, when she left the movie, and it's not because <laughs> Jamie needed to be in the rest of the film. You're right. It was. It's just at that point, it just kind of it never, it never held my interest again once she was yeah. gone. Um, how many Sheilas? How many Sheilas? I'm thinking, I'm thinking five Sheilas. That's where I was. That's I was me like, too. I would maybe at first I had been, six, and then I I pulled it down to five. Yeah, I was at like five point five, but then I thought about the hat, and I went back to five. <laughs> five. So none of us were very gung ho about this movie. Yes, nice. I was gonna say it, and I thought that's Fred's job. That's Yay. what I get paid for. Yeah, <laughs> gung ho. Hunt Stevenson invited the Japanese. You know, my dad was over here with the army in, uh, I guess it was 1940. Hey, did you decorate this place yourselves? To put his town back to work. Welcome to your first day with the San Motus. Now, everything is on his shoulders. Let's do it and do it our way. I thought it handled great. And it's all in the hands of Ron Howard the director of Splash and Cocoon. This is great. What could possibly go wrong? Good question. When a Western Pennsylvania auto plant is acquired by Japanese company Asan Motors, the most American-named character of all time, Hunt Stevenson, played by Michael <laughs> Keaton, <laughs> faces the tricky challenge of mediating the assimilation of two clashing corporate cultures. 
On one end is the Japanese plant manager, played by Getty Watanabe, and the sycophant who is angling for his position, played by Sab Shimono. On the other, a pack of disgruntled American union workers, including George Wendt and John Turturro, who struggle with the rigorous demands of Japanese quality control in the face of their own perceived exceptionalism. Ron Howard's culture clash comedy, his second pairing with star Michael Keaton after the latter's star-making 1982 debut in Night Shift, earned $7.1 million over its opening weekend en route to $36.6 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Gung Ho? I remember seeing it in the theaters because I loved Keaton. Mm-hmm. He was, I mean, he had Night Shift, Mr. Mom, Johnny Dangerously. Mm-hmm. So, and... I remember really enjoying it on the rewatch. It was amazing to me how much came back. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot because I saw it in the theaters and then it was, this is one of the things that I just watched over and over again on cable. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, I really know this movie mm-hmm. really well. Uh, I've seen it many times. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. And he's great. Michael Keaton's so goddamn good in it. He's got such a swagger. You know, I mean, he's really, he's, he's just the shit at this time. Yeah. You, you sort of, it's, you, it's, I mean. It's peak pre-Batman Keaton to me. It's like, yes. it's like once he plays Batman and he starts doing serious roles and mixing it up, it's a different thing. But this is like the, you talk about brand, like this is him in his fullness as that kind of the guy that he was in night shift coming oh, to kind of yeah. fruition. Yeah. Where yeah. you'd like, you, you'd follow him everywhere. So you're like, Oh, okay. This is perfect casting. You know, yeah, the yeah. guy, of course, he's going to, he's going to be the guy that everyone's going to rally behind. I, I couldn't, I kept watching and thinking, is this, is this movie r- super, super racist? <laughs> um, or is it towing the, I, I, I couldn't tell, you know, watching it now. I don't, <laughs> I just wrote the same thing. I wrote, is this culturally insensitive in retrospect? Sure. Yeah. Question mark. I don't really mm-hmm. know. Question mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I actually I, think it, it tries to strike a real balance and that the, the Japanese are not, they're not played for punchlines any more than the Americans are played for punchlines is what I feel point. like. I feel like, I, agree, I feel like it's, yeah. it's very balanced in that sense and, you know, takes us to task as much as it takes, you know, the, the, whatever the perceived uh, faults of, of the work, the Japanese work. Their ethic, culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway. That's what, that was my right. biggest takeaway that it was, it was really like trying to find the balance between these two philosophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I guess, you know, when I, meant by that statement by that question was I, i'm i'm curious how uh authentic the japanese style really is i mean mm-hmm. that it seemed a little over the top mm-hmm. you know with them yelling and the screaming and how it was so strict so i don't know <laughs> yeah. i could be right i've never worked in a japanese auto plant so i don't what? know but <laughs> the, the, <laughs> i tried no, they wouldn't right. hire me there was a there was a the, the fetus for comic book just always kept kept coming back to haunt me you know they would see it they say oh no you did this no we can't hire you but it was so i kept wondering is that are they getting a little cartoonish there but you're right jason i mean what i what i think the movie does well is it goes back and forth and it and and it says you know i mean and and i think michael keaton even has lines about that saying like you know you guys want these raises and you want this, but like, you're not willing to work for it. You know, right. you're, just, you're sitting and complaining. And so there is. Yeah. That big 4th of July speech that he makes in the gazebo. Yeah. There's like, it really is. He's like, you know, yeah, we just, 
we just keep saying America, we're number one, we're number one. But, it, you know, what's what do you got to back it up? You know what you want to hear? You want to hear that Americans do things better than anybody else. They're kicking our butts and that ain't luck. That's the truth. There's your truth. Sure. The great old American do or die spirit. Yeah, it's alive, but they got it. Well, I'll tell you something. We better get it back. We better get it back damn fast. Instead, we're strutting around telling ourselves how great we are, patting each other on the back. You know, I guess if I was really a leader, I would have told you this uh, months ago. Yeah, but they are willing to work for it. They're just not willing to sacrifice everything that the Japanese yeah. workers are sacrificing. Yeah. You know, there's yes, that exactly. awesome scene where John Turturro is so incensed and angry. He goes, work harder. This is Sunday, you know, yeah, yeah. And he's so fucking pissed because he's like, yeah. my, I haven't seen my family in weeks. And you go, oh, okay, this is the reason unions exist. This is the reason yeah. overtime exists. This is the reason that safety precautions. And right after that, somebody gets hurt, right? So yeah. you go, that's okay. A, that, you, and that's a great sequence. A that's it's a great sequence. Yeah. It's a great sequence. You go, this is why we don't do it this way is yeah. because yeah. of this. And in many ways that, you know, we always talk about Michael Keaton, obviously he's the main role, but also Getty Watanabe, you know, they, he, he's so good in it. And what's great about both those characters is these both, they're both these guys who are, you know, they're both stuck between, you know, labor and corporate and yes. they're trying to figure it out and they both have the same philosophy and, you know, and, you know. They're both struggling it, against their own culture. It really struck me on this rewatch where, where he goes, um, where Michael King comes in when, you know, they first come to America and he goes, and Michael King goes into his office and he's like, you know, you're a guy I can talk to. And he, and his re he says, how often? How, I know. And it's so sad. He wants like, a oh friend. My God. He's yeah. just a lonely guy. A lonely he's guy. a lonely guy stuck in the middle, just like Michael Keaton feels stuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was a really beautiful little moment. I made a note of that it, too, it Fred. In. And I, I never thought, of, I've seen this movie many times. I never thought about that when I was younger, you know, and all the times I'd seen it. The thing that really popped for me was the friendship between Keaton and Watanabe and mm -hmm. that, them trying to come reach compromise together and serve multiple masters. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's great. I really think this yeah. movie's great. And, uh, and I always did, but it was, you know, I was younger and it was on the strength of Keaton and I probably haven't seen it in several years but i've seen this movie a lot and yeah. this time it was all about getty watanabe for me and and i just thought he was such a a a, a lovely character and such a great presence and it was such a such an again yes i'm sure these that that's the thing i keep thinking too fred is like how far is this tipping into caricature or stereotype mm -hmm. or whatever but his kind of his warmth and openness and humanity kind of uh, grounds the the Japanese side of things for me. And so do, the other guy, I love it. Is it? I believe it's Ito is uh, the guy who's like my who's whose wife is going into labor oh, he's and yeah. he's oh, wonderful. He really that, good, that, yeah. I, I don't know the actor's name of him, but he was great. You know, so there were. I I really did think it was a pretty balanced. Uh, portrayal of both sides. The same way then you have in terms of like ugly extremes or a character you've got. George went like, you know, I mean, yeah. just being who, who gives a great performance. Actually, he's got a lot of nuance when he's embarrassed about being demoted at the plant. Mm -hmm. He's got some great moments there, but he's also a very, uh, you know, a, a very uh, ugly but relatable yeah. American American. And a lot of what we, you know, like, again, I keep every podcast. I feel like I keep coming back to like you know, shades of where we are now or, yes, uh, you know, like, sure. uh, you know, like the, you the rise of Trumpism it. and all of that. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, 
and you see it in the movie. There's a little moment that I uh, that I um, picked up on this time, but it's the moment after they, you know, Tutur says, we're coming to get you. It's that great moment where he drops the phone and then he starts packing up his stuff and trying to get his fish. And we go into broad comedy there. And that it still, still yeah, works. It's, 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 it, it still works for me because it it's like, well. okay, we're still in a comedy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it, 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 it runs towards the broad there. Then Whenever the broad outside. physical comedy stuff, that's when it lost, like him with the cigar and when he gets fired and what? And he falls back <laughs> and that stuff didn't work for me. Uh, oh, okay. Go on, continue. It works for me. I don't know why it's just silliness. But but uh, uh, then they meet him outside and they all go, you know, we know that they we, we realize we're coming to get you isn't we're coming to kill. We're coming to kick your ass. It's we're right. coming to to rally, you know, to, to get you with us to rally because mm-hmm. we know they screwed you over and lied to you. And he goes, oh, and then he's starting to to have his, you know, continuing to have his crisis of conscience about having lied to all of them about the 13000 cars. And then there's that moment where he says, hey, can I talk to you a second to George Went? Because that's his friend who he can relate to and talk to. And yeah. he and and he's like, ah, uh, never mind. Nothing, nothing. And it's just this moment of like, should I tell him or shouldn't mm-hmm. I? You know, mm-hmm. should I crush his dreams and confide in him at the same time and have one ally in this? Or should I not do that? And it's a great moment. It's such a tenuous little line that he's walking there. It's such a tightrope. And and uh, um, uh, and you realize that went, you know, is is not the guy, not the right guy to tell this to. He really doesn't have anybody to tell it to, you know, possibly the Mimi Rogers um, character who, who is, I think, underused. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, movie, she's great. You know, she's really good. They she, have nice chemistry together. They do. Right? They do. Yeah. And she's sort of the eighties Andy McDowell, right? Andy McDowell takes these kinds <laughs> yeah. of roles in the nineties um, <laughs> totally, yeah. and, and in Keaton movies like multiplicity, yeah. but, 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 you know, she, the, the, the sort of nice girlfriend role. They could have done more with that. You know, I think Ron Howard as a director makes a big step forward between Night Shift and and the yeah. what, what are his other movies in between Night Shift Splash. and this? before this. Oh, of course. Splash of and course. Cocoon, yeah. Oh yes. my god. So he's becoming a major force at this he really point. Was, yeah. yeah. Terrific. And his heart is in the right place. He, that's the thing about Ron Howard. Sometimes you like yeah, you love his movies, sometimes you just like him. I, I can't th- I can't really think of many Ron Howard movies that I'm like, ugh, because he's just Yeah, me neither. Yeah. His his heart always seems in the right place with stuff and I, mm-hmm. I yeah, I really uh he's yeah, he's a very good comedy director and he really is great when he gets a like a Keaton or a Tom Hanks is like a great muse for him, you know. It just yes. uh, How do you think things are going at the factory? Can I, can I be frank for a second? <laughs> I've heard a lot of talk about uh, how good the Japanese businessmen are. Quite frankly, I'm sorry, I don't get it. I don't see it. I'm not impressed. Not when I order. Like I loved in the beginning because I think this was the movie where the fabulous Thunderbirds really came into life. It's on tough enough. Yeah, right. So I thought that was great. Like real Americana song, like perfect. Mm, uh-huh. But then at the end, when they all band together, and then I'm like, God Child damn it. it, it was that bad 80 synth, we can do yeah. it music. Yes. It was, like, was it the Pointer Sisters or something? Breaking the Ice? Breaking the Ice? Oh, yeah. I was, t- I was like, I thought it was like, well, like what is this? Revenge of the Nerds? You got to put one foot in front of the other, put the other. I mean, it was such that obvious, like, uh, yes, really we funny. can do it. I was but hoping for a better song. As it's starting, uh, I was like, come on, give me a good one. Give me a good one. But it's, it's very neutron hurt. dance. It feels yeah. very neutron dance. Totally neutron dance. It just seemed <laughs> Which so I out love. of place. I thought, like, what? We're this just is burning. 
<laughs> doing doing the, the neutron dance. dance. But that song works in that movie. This just seemed this just seems strange. I was uh, like, I, and I know it's the eighties. I get it. I yeah, know this is yeah. what, what it just seemed like an odd choice to me. Yeah. And I just went, oh. <laughs> Keaton and Watanabe start making the car together. That is a beautiful moment of the of of them of them uh, uh, finally working together to just let's just do the work. Let's just do the work and make the cars. And it's such a supercharged moment too in yeah. in time in the eighties when you know like mm-hmm. you know the same way you know there's always now it's China you know in the eighties it was between Russia and Japan those were like the two you know the, yeah. the villains you know there's yes. the, the political villain is is Russia and the <laughs> and the kind of the uh, you know the economic villain is Japan Japan that exceptionalism and you know uh, yeah I think this movie does a very nice job of of making its points and making some real kind of, of social satire is where I, I would designate this. But it it makes its points while having a, a light touch. And it's uh, I don't know. I, I just think it it worked even better for me now than it has in the past. I found it very not just funny, but moving. Like I was very moved by especially Getty Watanabe. And I actually, I like had tears in my eyes several times. I don't know what it is. I just was like very taken with, and, and the, and that thing of like cultural understanding and, and, and coming together Mm. is just, maybe it's, I'm just very uh, crunchy granola lately, but I'm, no, no, but we can see it when we were kids. We didn't, I don't think, you know, we didn't have the worldview to see it. It was just, it was like, Oh my, yeah, it was like, Oh, there's Johnny Dangerous. And then there's <laughs> being funny, you know, the right. funny guy from Sixteen Candles. Yeah, long and, Yeah, yeah. So and you know, I'm talking about embracing both cultures. You know, yeah. uh, in a way that kind of Crossroads isn't doing all the way. You know, because in order to do that, Ralph Macho's character has to come to an understanding about the blues, and he never does. This both people come to an understanding about the other person's culture. So you get this sort of cross-cultural thing going on. And that's what makes the movie work. I had totally forgotten the whole beginning of this movie where Keaton goes to Japan. (laughs) That's super important. It's super important because can you imagine the reverse? Can you imagine him, Turturro, Went, and all those guys going to Japan to work? Right. You know what I mean? To run a plant there. (laughs) That was the sequel. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, you know, it would have been it would have been a completely um, I mean, uh, 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 a fish out of water story in a totally different way. But because it's set in this country and for yeah. this audience, you get you get the reverse. But it's yeah. really important that he goes to Japan first and is completely lost. Yeah, he's yeah. completely lost the entire time. And thankfully, what to go back to that original question that we were having, Jason, they there's no they don't show the Japanese coming and doing like, you know, ridiculous, silly things where it really could have fallen is if they showed up at the baseball game and it was like a joke, but they weren't, they showed up and they no. were fucking And they were good. Team, and they, yeah. You know? yeah. Cause so Japan that, that, has a long baseball heritage as long exactly. as we do, but longer than we do, yeah. as, long, as long as America does. <laughs> could be very Rocky Four territory where it's like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Where you can pay lip service to the, uh, just, it's just about people coming together and understanding each other, but it's really jingoistic and, and, yeah. and touches your buttons at the expense of the other culture. And it, it doesn't mm-hmm. really do that. It doesn't no. do that, which is really nice. Um, and, you know, you talk about the, I, 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 or I talk about the, the Trumpism thing. I mean, 
this idea of that Americans can't hear bad news. They they want to be told what there they want to hear, and it gets you into fucking trouble when you can't be straightforward with people because they just want to feel good about stuff and they want to be rah yeah, rah about right. stuff. And mm -hmm. it just seemed to be a great um, metaphor for what we've gone through now and yeah. when you think you're exceptional just because you were born <laughs> just because here because you're born here yeah it doesn't the virus doesn't care where you were born <laughs> or, yeah. or that you think you're you know that you're exceptional yeah. you know that that's that's that leads you to whatever we're at now half a million deaths yeah. keaton trump really well that's Same it person. i mean <laughs> keaton is kind of like he's the He's frustrating. I mean, he's wonderful, but you know what I mean? Like he's like that character and the choices that character makes. You're like, right, you want to shake tell them the bad news. Yeah. That gets frustrating at the yeah. end. Like just tell them the truth. Yeah. You right. know, yeah. But. yeah. Yeah. Now, when he puts on the hat, that's where the movie really. Oh, I'm still in the other movie. <laughs> I'm still caught up in the other movie. Uh, how, how many shows for this? Uh, uh, this comedy uh, classic, I'm going to say. Oh, good for you. Oh, my God. I really What do you say, Fred? Thing. I go off of you all the time. Wow. I think I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm in between a 6.5 and a 7. Okay. You're a touch lower than where I thought you might be. Yeah, because I, I yeah. really enjoyed it, but yeah. it's I, I don't know if I would call it. I don't know if I'd call it a comedy classic in my book. So mm. I'm going to go, you know what? I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll give it a 7. I'll okay. bring it up to seven. I will yeah. go 7.5 um, <laughs> just to uh, outdo you in some way. Okay. This is ridiculous. I'm going nine. I'm going nine. Wow. I go for it. loved it and it actually grew in my estimation. I always liked it. I always thought it was a funny movie. I always thought Keaton was great. It holds I up. I thought everybody was great. And I thought, you know, it has like, it, it, I think it holds up. Yes. I, it holds it up when does. it. Kind of shouldn't. Like I was preparing to watch it. I was like, ah, here's another thing from my childhood. I'm going to feel bad about it. <laughs> I watch it. And I really didn't. I thought it did a really uh, nice job. And I thought it just. Leave that to it. Fred's comic to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I thought, I thought, I, I thought, I thought it ended. I thought it stuck the landing in a really yeah. great way. I, oh, when he starts to drive the car out of the thing and it just oh my, falls a bit to pieces. Got, oh, yeah. The Hysterical. fake, the fake windshield bit is a classic. It's so the, funny. The driving the car and it falls apart is a classic. The, the line, I, I mean, when Getty Watanabe says to his, his boss, he says, um, the, the boss says, do you, you didn't think I would live up to the deal. You questioned mm, my honor. And he says, yeah. I did not, I did not question your honor. I counted on it. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It, mm -hmm. It's great. And then the, at the end, when they're all doing the jumping jacks, finally, the payoff of mm -hmm. everybody working together and you're like, oh, this factory is going to, it's going to make it. But yep. because yeah. Americans and Japanese are working together and yeah. coming to an understanding together. I don't know. It gave me all the warm fuzzies. So I'm you're giving right. it nine. No, it totally, it, it totally, totally holds up. I was not, I, like I said, I enjoyed myself watching it it brought back good memories there was yeah. really i mean yeah the physical comedy stuff aside it, it didn't ruin it for me i just thought i just wished oh, sure. that it wasn't there but yeah you're right i mean it's a really i don't know why i wouldn't go higher but i won't <laughs> oh, i don't know why oh. but fuck you um, <laughs> Wait, no i, I, gotta I, go, I think I gotta it's go. crazy that i'm this high on it but i but i just was like no nah, i just had such a good time watching it this time so anyway good i gotta go pay Great. That's I'll be, staying I'll be in. right back. I, I should go, go keep it in. Well. I'm going to keep it. That's all. Right right okay. All right, listeners. Okay. Let's see who comes. Let's see who comes back first. <laughs> oh, this will be good. Let's see oh, who can be heard God. through the walls of their home <laughs> no. as they pay. Evacuation beginning.
Evacuation come Evacuation come Evacuation come Dan pees the slowest. Dan pees the slowest. Dan mm, pees, pees the, the slowest. slowest. <laughs> oh, jeez. In his bathroom. Oh, In his bathrobe, on his bed, <sighs> a mic on the pillow, grunting and groaning like Walter Matthau. I feel good. Now we're all done. Oh. And now, time to take a shit. <laughs> Hannah and her sisters. No. Oh boy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh God in heaven. It's Hannah and her sisters. There's something very lovely and real about Hannah. She gives me a very deep feeling of being part of something. Did you ever read this one? Lee, 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 I'm in love with you. you. You mentioned to me yourself that you and Elliot were having some problems. You were having problems, some problems that are my business, which I don't see how you could know about in such detail. It's a good thing we had a talented daughter. I can only hope that she was mine. With you as her mother, her father could be anybody in actor's equity. Two months ago, you thought you had a malignant melanoma. Naturally, I, I, you know, I had the sudden appearance of a black spot on my back. It was on your shirt. Three successive family Thanksgiving dinners mark time for Hannah, played by Mia Farrow, and her younger sisters Lee and Holly, played by Barbara Hershey and Diane Weist. Lee is having an affair with Hannah's husband, Elliot, played by Michael Caine, and trying to end her Svengali-like romance with artist Frederick, played by Max von Sydow. Holly is an actress and caterer frustrated by her lack of career fulfillment and her increasing dependence on Hannah's financial generosity. Threaded throughout is the tale of Hannah's ex-husband, TV writer and withering... I almost said psychopath. I meant to say hypochondriac. <laughs> I haven't written, and yet I wanted to say he's a psychopath. Sorry. Okay, you got it. You got it. You can do it. You've got you can do this. It. You got this. Threaded throughout is the tale of Hannah's ex-husband, TV writer and withering hypochondriac Mickey, played by noted monster Woody Allen, who, of course, also writes and directs, mining his personal relationship with Pharaoh for all it's worth and making sure to minimize child molestation by making a joke suggesting that everyone is doing it these days during his introductory scene. Jesus. Christ. Hannah and her sisters grossed $40 million at the box office, and Alan continues to gross far more than that, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Fred and Dan. <laughs> I can't help myself. It's a Woody Allen movie. What did you think of Hannah and her sisters? Uh, I mean, so difficult to even, to, so difficult to even reconcile. I had trouble reconciling, like, should we even be talking about the movie, yep. right? So that's sort of part one is like, do we give uh, attention to the work of somebody who who is, you know, um, um, I, I believe did the things that that um, Dylan Farrow uh, and yeah, Dylan Farrow said that he did. I believe I believe Dylan Farrow, um, and and then you go okay, well, should we give? And then the 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 Farrow v. Uh, Allen documentary sort of ends with a with a discussion about 
art and artist, right? And and they sort of go through other and they talk about Caravaggio, you know, and uh-huh. and, and who's mentioned in the movie. Who's mentioned in, in, this, the in this movie? movie who yeah. murdered this somebody. movie has a million little things yep. like, like that you like take that. you out, take you out, take yep. you out because yep. you're putting them through the real life prison. And yeah. Ultimately at the end of the thing, you know, somebody says, uh how about if we rather than um dismiss the art outright because of the monstrous acts of the artist, why not sort of bake it in to the assessment, right? Uh, and and I, I'm hmm. I'm of that mind, but also I'm I'm also of that mind because a film is not its director. Auteur theory aside, a film is not its director. There's the work of a lot of other people in this, sure. and a lot of other good people in this. And so I'm not going to you know focus too much on on uh, uh, Woody Allen, um, other than to say that he gathered a great a great group of people around him on this thing and and um, um those were lawyers their hitting their work <laughs> their work should be their work should be acknowledged and appreciated still we shouldn't lose the great performance yes. of Diane Weist in this thing you know it, she's, she's, she's given it. a damn acting lesson in this thing so you know uh, i i don't think the movie should should be put on the shelf to gather dust. I, I think there's, there's great work to be seen throughout the movie and a movie is not its director. A movie is a collaborative uh, art form with many, many collaborators whose work should be acknowledged. That's the way I justify it. And that might be a facacta justification, but that's the way I see it. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think that's a bad justification. I don't think it, I, and I don't think it has to say, I don't think you have to say, well, other people worked on, I mean, I love what you're saying. I think that's great, but I, mm. I think it's still okay to talk about his work and what, mm. because it, you're right. It's a movie is not just the director, but he's the director, the writer, right? One of the stronger, I mean, the acting's all strong, but I mean, like the, for me, the most memorable thing about that, I saw it in the movie theaters in 86 uh-huh. and I was too young to, you know, really, you know, get everything or understand the relationships and all of that. But Woody Allen's performance and his plot line, if you want to call it that, that really stood out to me. I mean, it's very separate from everything else. And then it weaves in yeah. and actually has, you know, kind of the greatest payoff of the movie, you know, is is found through his character ultimately. And, and I and, think the greatest uh, laugh of the movie, too, which is the, the Wonder Bread yeah. and the mayonnaise coming out. That's hysterical. That and, and, oh. and him, all these inner monologues that I'm not so crazy about in this movie, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest, I'm not crazy about them. But I still can remember sitting with my friend Ray Hernandez. I think my friend Chris Long was with me, too. I'm in ninth grade and I'm in the movie theater watching <laughs> Hannah and her sisters. And when he's walking through Central Park and he's talking to himself and he's, you know, what's the point of life? What's the point of life? And people are jogging past. and He's like, oh, your God. body's just decaying. And then the one heavy set person runs by and he's like, oh, God, look at this one. Jesus, you know, he wants me to do a brain scan to confirm what he already suspects. Look, I'll make a deal with God. Let it just be my ear, okay? I'll go deaf. I'll go deaf and blind in one eye, maybe. But I don't want a brain operation. Once they go into my skull, I'll, I'll wind up like the guy with the, with the wool cap who delivers for the florist. <laughs> and, and the fact that he does, as I said in the intro, I, the more you know about their real life, the more you know about 
Mia Farrow and Woody Allen and their relationship yeah. and how they negotiated stuff like kids. It's on screen and then you here. see their fucking kids are in it. Like They're two, in two it. of her oh. kids are in the movie. Jesus. It, it's like he mines the personal life so much for this, as opposed to Broadway Danny Rose that we were talking about and having similar concerns a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. But it's like that's fantasy land compared to this. Compared to this. It, it's like it's hard to separate the art from the artist or to make it's hard to make it all. You could say, like, let's make this a referendum on Michael Caine, Diane Weiss, whoever, you know, and like mm-hmm. their work. And mm-hmm. that's great. But I think it's it's. It's hard to do that. I don't think it's necessary to say, like, you can't talk about it. We can talk about it. But, you know, it's good point. Good. I mean, he's talented, a talented man who is like like a lot of talented men, also horrible in many ways. Yeah. You can't throw it out. I've been I mean, I, I talked about this with with Broadway Danny Rose. I and I've talked about this on several episodes. I have a poster, an Annie Hall poster, yep. which is, you know, always one of my favorite movies. And that was a prized possession of mine. And I've had it since I first moved into the city. And it was something I sought out and I wanted. And I love, love, love Woody Allen. And especially like this period. Well, I- I'd never seen this movie before. This is my first time, <gasps> which is right. so strange. It's the only Woody Allen movie really up to Midnight in Paris that I that I had never seen. And I don't know why. There's no reason. Mm. Because other than the stuff I saw in the theaters or I saw when I was a kid, there was a period where I went back and actively, you know, tried to find every Woody Allen movie to to watch and catch up on his on his his oeuvre. Um, mm. But this one, I don't I, I, I'm not sure why I skipped it. That scene of him with the doctor talking about his maladies, mm-hmm. that nebbish, neurotic, hypochondriac, that is exactly that's everything I want from my Woody, from my Woody <laughs> Allen. Yeah, yeah. And there was a point where, and it's still there where like he would come on screen and it didn't matter what he was doing. I would just laugh. Mm -hmm. Like I remember Mm -hmm. going to see uh, uh, New York stories. Oh, right. The the one with Scorsese, Scorsese, Coppola and and that's his one Oedipus Rex. I remember seeing that with my friend, Bill Muir, who really introduced me to Woody Allen and Scorsese and people like that. And people were were staring at us because we were laughing so hard. He wasn't doing anything. He just, there's something about him that I just love. It's in my, it's, I've said this before, it's a part of my DNA. Like I've, I've based things of my own life and the way I act around, you know, this sort of weird, strange hero worship of, hmm. of Woody Allen. Mm. I just find it so funny. And he looks so like a cartoon I, character. It's like Ziggy going yes. and getting in a, a, a cat scan. I mean, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> but I've said, I mean, you said this about Broadway Danny Rose, Dan. You mentioned that it's almost like it, it, all those Woody Allen ticks that he does. It's almost a little too much. And I'm like, I, I'm like, give me more, yeah, give more. more of that. <laughs> so I'm staring at this poster of Annie Hall now, because, you know, we redid our basement and we're looking to hang things and we can't, I, I can't bring myself to hang it up, but I'm having, I'm finding hmm. myself having a very hard time bringing it to the curb to leave <laughs> for You literally for the, have a physical manifestation of what yeah. we're going of through on a metaphorical to level. this artist. Yeah. 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 It's really tough. Yeah. I can't. And after watching this movie going down to my garage, I looked at that poster and I thought, you know what? I'm going to hang it because I got such a great feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I forgot everything else. Mm-hmm. And I just thought of. I love the way this guy makes movies. I love him in movies. They make me feel a certain way. And I really thought, no, I'm going to hang it. I'm, and then I thought, wait, no, I can't. And it's, and it's still there. And yeah. so it's, yeah, you can't, it's very hard, it's hard. to just say, no, we're not going to discuss it anymore. We're going to throw it out. It's, it, it's, 
but you're but you're right. You know, watching this movie, my God, it's really. I mean, you watch a movie like Manhattan, and that's disturbing for very obvious reasons. But this yeah. this might not be as obvious if maybe at least for me, if I didn't know you know, more about sure. their relationship from watching the documentary. And now you watch it and I go, oh yeah, this is ex- apparent, you know, this is him and me and what they were going through at that time, obviously. And the inner thoughts, I think that was, you know, that's something to it about what they were thinking at the time versus what the they Michael Caine inner thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Michael Caine is totally Woody Allen. Yes. Yeah, I know. There's always the uh, doppelganger. Once yep. he started getting... To a certain age, then there was yeah. always the doppelganger. Kenneth Branagh does it. I mean, yeah, you've yes. got it, you know. Cusack, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I, but I think Michael Caine navigates it wonderfully because oh, he, he does. doesn't go Kenneth Branagh, who I love. He just does a Woody Allen <laughs> he does impersonation, an impression, yeah. which is mm-hmm. it's just too much. Which movie and was that? Celebrity. Celebrity. I yeah. never saw that. I never um, saw it either. Th- this, I, I thought Michael Caine was great in this. He was so he was such a schlub. It was such a different look for Michael Caine. Yeah. He and Weist both won Oscars for they this, They both yes. won Oscars, yeah. 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 I want so badly to kiss her. Not here, you idiot. You've got to get her alone someplace. But I've got to proceed cautiously. This is a very delicate situation. Okay, yeah. Ask her if you can see her for lunch or a drink tomorrow. And be ready to make light of the offer if she's unresponsive. This has to be done very skillfully and very diplomatically. Every aspect, every relationship—it's it, like a—it's like a prism. It's like light going through a mm-hmm. prism, and it's all, everything is an aspect of you know the Michael Caine character is Woody Allen, so is the Max von Sydow character, and so is the Woody Allen character. They're all pieces right. of him, you know. Yeah. Um, and bewitched, how he... bothered, and bewildered, <laughs> right? <laughs> Boom, and the three it's sisters true. too, right? Bewitched, yes. bothered, and bewildered, all yeah. three. Of them. Yeah. Now all of this. I don't want to say put aside because I, I feel like I don't, I don't want to, that's the sure. thing. Like I don't, I don't want to dismiss any of the allegations or any of the horribleness that is is surrounding all of this. But as a movie, and especially as someone who saw it for the first time, I think it's a fucking great movie. Yeah. I mean, I really think it, it, it's really, you know, I, I, I've just always found him such an interesting filmmaker and he, he always, you know, he's definitely got his own style that he sticks to, but he's also not afraid to change and try new things and techniques from movie to movie. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, I, I know a complaint as well. He always, it's, it's, you know, you always know it's a Woody Allen movie, which is true. Just like you always know it's a Scorsese movie. You always know it's a Wes Anderson movie, yeah. but he, I, I do feel like he does try a little, you know, like I said, a lot of different techniques and plays around with that form. And something that I noticed in this which he has done before, you know, he's really good at having those like wide shots where you hear the dialogue, but you don't see, and they'll just hold on it for a while. You don't see them and then they'll slowly walk into frame, but they're not really where you'd expect them to be, or the camera will just stay there and people will be moving around. And what I notice about this, because that was happening a lot. Oh yeah. By doing that, it, it makes it more intimate because it's a fly on the wall. You, if you were yes. in that room watching this, they wouldn't block it so you can see. Max von Sydow would turn to you. Would be standing there watching this. You would see his back. Yeah. Same thing. If you were in that room watching Michael Caine and Mia Farrow have the fight, you know it's not. You're not going to move from room. You're you're hiding it. It gives yeah. it that feeling. The camera's it fixed. Makes, it's like you're looking through a window. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes all of those moments and scenes so much more intimate. 
Which I really liked. And I, so I, I just thought as a movie, as it's put together, I, I thought it was really well done. Could you believe the way she was calling him David? Yes, David. I feel that way too, David. What a marvelous space, David. I hate April. She's pushy. To some degree, on some level, what what's happening is there's a there's the 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 three Thanksgivings, right? The, yes. the sort of idealization of family, of of um, familial relationships, of everything is hunky dory and everything is good. How are those mm-hmm. scenes shot? Very. The, it's not cinema verite in those moments, right? There's a high, there's sort of a high crane shot where it's all perfectly staged around the table. Yeah. I think what he might be doing is going back and forth between idealized world, the Thanksgiving world, you know, and the and the sort of the um, the more, I guess, uh, uh, cinema verite style realism of okay, we're going to look at Max von Sydow's back. For a for a scene and not yeah. and, and have you and have you lean in because you are seeing something you're not supposed to see you are seeing a, a more intimate moment that makes you in your mind's eye want to sort of lean over here so you can see Diane Weist's face whereas you don't need to yeah, do that, that in sense. the Thanksgiving scenes because they're so picture perfectly staged. I, yeah, I. Uh, it's a hard <laughs> movie to talk about. I the thing that stuck out to me in terms of like a um a window into his mind into his soul into you know an interesting thing about how he makes movies and also uh, a reflection on the you know again you can't divorce it from that documentary and like nope and the world that he lived in and the world he made for himself and the way that he was able to escape and bypass uh, a lot of these allegations and things at that time it is it's a portrait of privilege. Everything. It's just everybody is so dripping with privilege, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just, if anything, it makes his his worldview feels very narrow to me in this movie. It's all like Jason uh, Taylor uh, and I just had a big talk about this with his movies. I was like, who's his, his movie his for? New York. You know, yes. Taylor was like, I lived in New York with you for <laughs> for a long time. The, Every movie, the depiction of New York is not the New York I lived in. I was like, no, it is not. It is no, an idealization of his elite privileged New York. But I didn't find that with this. You know, I know I that's really that's another this, thing that's yeah. that's always thrown at Woody Allen movies, which I get. And it's funny because there was one point where I thought, wow, this is a really white movie. And as soon as I yeah. thought that, the black maid shows up. Oh, no. great. I did, oh. Yeah, I swear to God. And I was like, God. oh, wow. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I, you're right. I actually didn't feel that with this because you have someone like Diane Weiss who's struggling. She's a cater waiter, you know, and you you see old Soho. Now we have to remember, right? She's which like I really the, the liked, fa- she's the the misfit of the movie, right? It's like oh, this poor thing who's like oh, she has to cater while she's acting and stuff. I, I don't but know. I didn't I, think I, they lived. Uh, Diane Weiss, she has, she was privileged. They were a privileged family. Um, you know, her and Michael Caine, but even thought like Barbara Hershey living in, like when, even when you look at those lofts, you know, that those big lofts and Soho, yeah. but you have to remember Soho back in the eighties was not Soho. The, those lofts were cheap. That's where artists lived. That was Soho was like the <laughs> shitty right. area of town. So that's what I kept having to remind myself. Mm. I was like, wow, look at that huge place. But again, Soho, even when she's outside, it's, it, sort of a shitty neighbor. People didn't want to go to Soho to hang out. People didn't want to live in Soho. That's where artists live. That's where painters and mm-hmm. poets, you know, mm-hmm. and, and fashion people live before you can make a lot of money in fashion. So, you know, you write what you know. Oh, yeah. Can, can you fault someone? I, 
But this does is a whole he other conversation. know that part of New York? I mean, does does he know that? I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a renowned recluse. I mean, does he is he hanging out on the Upper <laughs> East Side with 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 privilege? You know what I mean? It's it's like he doesn't leave his house. He goes to the Carlisle, plays his clarinet, and goes home. Right, but all these places we're talking about, the Upper East Side, Soho, all the places that seem to be really you know fancy and rich and privileged now. I don't know if they were. Back then, but I, I I know what you're saying, but I, I don't know if that's you know if that that's what he does. So that's what he's going to tell stories about. Yeah, now, it's the idealization the convers- of New York, and it's the it's Gershwin and Cole Porter's New York. You know what I mean? Exactly. It, it, yes, there is an I, I, Yes, that's the exact yeah. word. I, I don't know. There's something about this movie where his his worldview feels very narrow and huh. um and yeah, everything is like art and intellect it's it's all very um i don't know i found it very not that it was necessarily distasteful it just was like i, I really thought like i i don't know who this movie is for i think it's for a very slim segment of the the population and i and i will say here's what i think I, yes i think he does it, it's okay i'm going to compare two things that i love woody allen and rush um nice because Max von Sydow is like the Getty Lee of the group. Very much. He's he's more Neil Peart actually. Oh, okay. He's really high intellectual. Good thinking. But Daniel Stern is no, there, is uh, is Steve, he's more Steve Getty Perry. Lee. I think. Oh, okay, that's Jerry. Oh, that's it's still, gonna keep going. It's gonna get cut. Don't don't go too far into this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Barbara Hershey's Grace Slick. That's completely <laughs> different. <laughs> Neil Peart said in an interview that he said that they Rush constantly gets. They get a lot of shit because people find their lyrics and their music pretentious. And being the, the egghead mm. smart guy that he is, he said, but pretentious means you're pretending to be something. He goes, I, I'm not pretending to be something. Like, mm. if you know anything about Rush, you know this guy never stops reading. He loves this shit. That's what they love. Like, they write about the things that, you know, we write about this stuff that we're into, that we really like. So we're not, you might not like it, but we're certainly not pretending. And I feel like that's the same thing with Woody Allen, that this is just his worldview. He thinks that everyone knows Anna Karenina and, you know, knows all these philosophers and this music and wants to go to these art house movie theaters. And it's exactly what you said. It's idealized. So that's the audience, the people that are going to enjoy that or want to yeah. live in that idealized world like I did at one point. Well, I, I, sure. I don't think there's ever been a day in his life that he hasn't kind of mined for and probably taped uh, for mm. his, his screenwriting to be like, you know, this conversation I had with me is going in and this kind of, uh, it, it feels so- Which that yeah. comes up unquote, in the movie too. It feels so- it, it feels so honest, right? About like, mm. oh, the heart wants what it wants. I mean, it's literally the shit he said about like justifying why he ended up with Sun Yi. Like, yep. I can't help it. I fell in love. You know, that mm. stuff gets sprinkled all through this. But I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm sorry. I know this is, I'm supposed to be separating the art from the artist, but I can't You're not help. supposed to be. No, I, that's I, the point I, I'm making. You're not supposed to do I, that. I, I but, but you got to well, bake it in, I think. But I'm like, he might be honest to a fault in some ways with his filmmaking, but he, he'd never have the balls to have somebody falling in love with the adopted daughter of, uh, of, mm. of, of their lover. It can be the sister, but he's not, you know mm. what I mean? Like you can feel mm-hmm. the yeah. self editing within. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be honest about these kinds of things, but he wouldn't dare be, say and be, show some be of the, the things actual, he would. Yeah. I don't think he'll ever make a movie about like, this is what it's like 
to fall in love with a teenage girl who happens to be the daughter of your wife or partner. This is what well, it really is. Manhattan I mean, maybe, gets pretty close. Maybe. Manhattan gets I guess pretty so. close. I guess yeah. so. But th- guess there's so. also the conversation about, that Mia has about like, how dare you write these? Th- how dare you put these things in there? These yep. are private conversations. And also, how did you even know this? You know, yeah. so he's he he thinks he's mitigating it by having that point of view in there, I think. I think yeah. I uh, think that's you're right. what he thinks think he's right. doing. There's a very um, have your cake you and eat it too quality too. You stand as practices. Okay. Why all of a sudden is the sketch dirty? Child molestation is a touchy subject with the affiliates. Read the papers. Half the country's doing yes, it. Yes, but you name names. We, ne- we don't name names. We say the poet. We always that say that sketch we- cannot go on the air. Uh, speaking of theater and Joanna Gleason, because I was ha- I was happy to see her in this. You did not always remember. Her. We did a show together and she, she's been in a few Woody Allen movies, one of which also was, I, I think I'm, it was Crimes and Misdemeanors is the one I'm thinking of. Before we would do the show every night, we would go on stage and we always did like silly group warmups together. And I would always say something, I would always say a line from a movie. You know, just like be like, oh, you know, whatever it was, you talking to me or, you know, (laughs) leave the gun, take the cannoli, something dumb, just in a big, you know, fake theater voice. And one night, and I forgot she had done these Woody Allen movies. I got on stage and I went, a strange man defecated on my sister last (sighs) night. And she was right next to me. And she said, to which I replied, why would he do that? I was like, wait, oh my God. Great. She's like, oh, I thought you said that on purpose because you, I had no idea. What's that wow. from? Story. What is that? That's from Crimes That's and Crimes Misdemeanors. Oh God. Yeah. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen that movie in so yeah. long. I'd be interested because I loved it so much. I thought it was so brilliant and I wonder how uncomfortable it would be now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the why this part of why this movie was held in such high regard and was such a critical darling and so successful on its own terms was, I think it sticks the landing really, really well in those last 20 minutes. I I kind of, Mm -hmm. I think it's very surprising that they come together the way they do. I think he's, uh, they have kind of incredible chemistry when they, and I think they connect so beautifully in the end and are so Good the together. Store and, scene is great. And I find I tend to find it hard to buy Woody Allen in romantic relationships with anybody because mm-hmm. he does look like Ziggy and uh, but or, or Dilbert or whatever you know or somebody from BC or the Wizard of Id. Uh, but, you know, but oh my God. but <laughs> Wizard of Id. But drop a Hagar the horrible reference. And, uh, Come on, yeah, he does. He looks like Hagar's sidekick. Um, yeah. <laughs> And Diane Weist is so beautiful, and but they do seem there's something they seem like a really great match at the end, and I really love yeah. how you know I was like I didn't want you know on some level I was like I couldn't wait to watch this, and I was like, is this going to work on me in spite of everything, or is it going to be too hard to watch? and and the movie is again it keeps hitting you in the face again and again with. Everything from child molestation jokes to literal conversations that you know he's probably had with Mia Farrow. And you're like, how can I step away from that? How can I divorce myself from that? You can't. You can't. But I had the payoff with him and Diane Weiss. I had a little chill at the end of the movie. And I was like, God damn it. I'm a little frustrated that it works on me so much in the end. But it it does. And uh, he is a great filmmaker. And he casts great actors. Um, 
love I love that Michael Caine couldn't pick up his Oscar for Hannah and her sisters because he was filming Jaws the Revenge in the, <laughs> no, in the Caribbean that's or something. No. Trivia. That's why. That's a great yeah. piece of trivia. Oh, it was in the middle gosh. of Jaws the Revenge. Oh my god! Well, it was personal. <laughs> yeah, that, it was that personal. time. That time it was that personal. Time it was personal. Oh man, that's why that could have been the tagline oh. for this. This <laughs> oh, time it's god. personal. This time I'm gonna lay out all my dirty laundry, <laughs> and then husbands and wives and other things. That will make you uncomfortable to watch. Oh. Uh, how many Sheila's? How many Sheila's? Oh. Right. I don't know how to rate this. How are we supposed to do? How am I supposed to give Sheila's to this? If, I, if I'm going back, mm. if I'm just basing it off of my my enjoyment of the movie, oh God, and my, my feelings for Woody Allen movies in general before all of this, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd probably give it a nine. Nine shields. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'll go seven. I'll go seven. I'm and that, also and a seven. Certainly, seven. you know, through the 2021 lens of everything we know. But I mean, I, 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 uh, I am absolutely in love with all of the work of all of the actors uh, in this and their, their work deserves their work in this deserves to be seen as well as all the other artists who, who worked uh, on the, on the film. And I think it's a, uh, I think it's a seven. Yeah, I, I, I'm giving it a seven and I'm I'm actually not rating it colored by the lens of, of the 2021 lens. Mm-hmm. And I it didn't grab me in the same way. I might do no, I might do like a seven point five eight only because <laughs> I like Broadway. No, because there's other movies of his that I like a lot more. I really, really, really like this. But I love Annie Hall more. I love Broadway Danny yeah. Rose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, oh, I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it I'll give it an eight. Yeah. eight. Phone's ringing. Oh, phone's ringing, gentlemen. Let me pick up and just see who it is. Hello, you're on the opening weekend podcast with Dan, Jason, and Freddie. We did. Uh, oh, what? Oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, this is fa- this will be a nice palate cleanser after all that. This is oh. great. Good, good. All right, hang on, hold, please. What a delight! A new caller into the podcast, ladies really? and gentlemen. The great Michael Keaton. <gasps> Wow. Mr. Keaton, welcome to the opening weekend podcast. So great to hear from you. Hey, hey, hey. hey. It's great to hear from you guys. Well, I mean, I called you, but, you know, it's great to, just great to hear your voices. Just great to hear just people on the line. Is it, What's up, boys? Is, is it because you're a fan of our podcast? Is that why it's great to hear our voices? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, you know, just full disclosure, I've not heard it, but. Um, you're like but, most you people. Know, well, uh, that's, <laughs> that that, that, that's, that's true. Look, I. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, my, uh, my buddy, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close with, uh, with Jack, Jack Nicholson. Right, uh, we've right. stayed friends, uh, over the years, ever since we did Batman. And so he, he's been telling me about it, you know, cause we, we generally do like, a, a you know, every couple of weeks we do a, a call, like on a, on a Sunday night, he'll like, you know, after 60 minutes, he'll, he'll give a ring and, you know, I'm on the ranch and I'm just, you know, I've just been, uh, I'm in Montana most of the time just doing my thing, but he knows I like my. He knows I like my Leslie style. So then, you know, he calls after that. And then we just, you know, we just shoot the shit. And he's been, I don't know, it sounds like he's been been nuts. You know, he's been nuts. I mean, it's like, you know, this is this is time of his life. He should be kicking back, relaxing. And I don't know, you got he's all over the country and he keeps he, he talking took your about advice literally. You said, want to get nuts, let's get nuts. And then he oh, did. Right. 
That's funny. <laughs> That's right. He did do that. That's, uh, you know, exactly. Any questions for Mr. Keaton, Fred Berman? I know you're a fan. Uh, no, yeah, I love you more. It was, it was he, sound, he really sounds like it. He sounds like he's a big no, fan. No, I think I'm, I'm just. I'm a I know that other guy I is. I'm just, <laughs> I think I'm just a little starstruck. You know, it's amazing. The people that call into this show, it's just, it's especially people who don't actually listen to the show. It's amazing. Um, you know, any insight uh, on working. Uh, on Gung Ho, that was the movie we talked about, yeah. or maybe or, or Jack Frost. Oh, sure. or, or you guys talked about Gung Ho. You talked about Gung Ho. Let's not bring up Jack Frost. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, that was it. Was a nice check. I didn't have to do a hell of a lot. You know, people say, "Oh, how could you do it?" I turn into snow like in the first seven minutes, and then that's it. Then you're just. A I mean, everything yeah. else is just from home. Um, but uh, what was I gonna? Uh, what were you talking about? Oh, gung ho. So you guys talked about the gung, the, the gung ho. We, we talked about the gung ho. Yeah, the, gung-ho. the gunger. How's it? How's it hold up? How's it hold up? I haven't well, seen it in a while. Surprisingly That's well. That's good because you know it's uh, everything's everything's so touchy now. And it's like you just wonder, you know, because well, so I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Hold on. The, the phone is ringing. The other oh, li- sure. line too is ringing. Uh, hold on, Mr. Keaton. Hold. Yes. Hello. Opening weekend podcast. Oh. Oh, this is. What a treat. Okay, hang on, hang on. This is great because we get we can we can we can sort of relive uh, 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 a little bit of our past here. Ladies and gentlemen, okay. the great Jack Nicholson is calling in to the podcast as well. <laughs> Mr. Nicholson, hello, welcome, welcome to the Opening Weekend Podcast. Once again, it's been a while. How are you boys doing? We're How's fine. Everybody? We're You're f- all right. <sighs> fine. You, How are you? You've had a you've had a hell of a couple of months it's, being on the road. It's been nuts. It's been fun. It's been a it's been a good time. I've gotten a, yeah. I've gotten a lot of reading in, which you're not supposed to do when you're driving, but. Uh, Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I just I uh, I let Geppetto. I'm like I I just say I I, I say I say Geppetto. I feel a, I feel a chapter coming on, and then and that's I used to say that about BMs, but then but I uh, but sometimes this is just I just get tired of driving, and I just I got to in the moment when I feel like I need a chapter of my Robert Ludlums, I just say I'm going. I need a chapter, and then he's got to go grab the wheel real quick, and, and totes crying in the switch, back. You could just switch seats. You could just pull over and switch seats. It's we could. I don't like that, but I like to make good time. See, I, there's just a lot going yeah, on yeah. with me. Good thinking. Uh, we, uh, we have an old buddy of yours on the line. Yeah, you'll be happy to know Jack. who we've got on the line here. It's Mr. Michael him? Keaton, your old friend. What's going on? The Keats. How are we doing? I haven't talked to you since. Oh, I talked to you last Sunday, didn't I? That's right. Right <laughs> after, after Leslie uh, stole. Right after Leslie <laughs> wrapped up her segment on. I don't know what it was. It was like hydroponic. Farming. I don't. I didn't really pay attention this week. Is that a word? Hydroponic. I think it is. I don't know. But but I do have a book on that that I plan to read when we're uh, while driving. <laughs> yeah, while driving. <laughs> so what's up, Jack? You guys. I'm, I'm not not to take this offline. I'm just I don't want to make it a side conversation or anything. <laughs> I mean, it's all right. These guys. They know everything. <laughs> they know what I'm up to. And uh, are you? How are you feeling, man? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling. I'm feeling more alive than ever. You know, I've got the. I'm. I'm just on the road mixing it up with these crazy fucks. And uh, 
you know, uh, you know, we're hybridizing things, you know, I, it's, it's amazing. It's like a juicer. It's like, I just, you just, I, sometimes I point out the window and I say, you know, I get, I get Merlot on the car phone. I'm like, I'm like, uh, uh, that plus of that, you know, and what are you going to do? And, you know, sometimes it's a vulture and a cactus. I just, you know, it's a, anything. And then he t- then he walks me through how we do it and how disgusting it might look on the other side. And then sometimes we actually pull over and gather. You know, he's got crates and stuff in the back. And... Yeah, I know. I know you're you've always been big on that. You've always, you've always I mean... no, he was guys. He was like back during you know he, he, even back then yeah, he was hybridizing. And, oh, he was. Well, he wasn't hybridizing, but he would talk. Right. You know, we'd be in the makeup trailer. You know, for for Batman, and he'd right. be like. He'd be like, have you ever thought about playing it as a bat plus a man? And I was like, what are you talking about? That makes sense. I didn't know what he was talking about. And he was like, what if you could fuse your DNA? I was like, well, you're out of your fucking mind. But, you know, that seems like he's found a kindred spirit now. Yeah. I mean, we will do it, too. We'll actually. That's. uh, I'm telling you, there's a lot, you know, people say, oh, that's how COVID started. So they they don't like the idea of actually putting a bat and a man together. But but I think we're going to do it after everything dies down a little bit. I think we're going to try one. Well, you Mr. Know, just, Jack, Mr. Jack, it's a time for your treatment. Oh, Mr. Jack. All right, all right, that's Geppetto calling. All right. All right, my friend. Uh, I'm going to go. Tube. Take your tube. Thank you. And then just put that. <laughs> Wow. Here we go. All right. I, I got to get off the line okay, because this I push starts. Okay, I'll the plunger to... now. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Well, that, let me hang you. up first. Oh, my God, Geppetto. What? Mr. Jack, so messy. Geppetto. Wow. It's really. You know, I remember Geppetto used to. He used to come on set. And he'd be. It would always be with like. He always had a little note for Kim Basinger. It was always just a little like. He'd have like little. You know those like little Valentines you get like. Yes. At like Dwayne Reed or something. It has like, I don't know, it had like the snorks on it or something. I mean, it was weird. I, I don't know. It was like real like bargain basement Valentine's with a little sticker and stuff and the perforated right. edges. And, you know, and Geppetto's always like bringing those to Kim's trailer. And she's like, this is getting a little weird. I was like, I think they're from Jack. I don't think it's actually Geppetto who's into you. And she's like, I don't know that that's better. I was like, I think it's a little better, you know, but um, anyway. I mean, Geppetto is a stand-up guy. <laughs> Geppetto's, Geppetto's a stand-up guy. He's a good one. Anyway, true, true. so uh, I'm glad you guys like the Gung Ho. I'm glad it holds up. Hey, good luck to you boys. I'll have to listen <laughs> to this you, sometime. Thank you, Mr. Keaton. Yep. Yeah, check it out, please. please. please I'll check it out. It. What, are you, what are you on the, uh, you're on Spotify, uh, yep. Spotify, iTunes. iTunes, Apple Music, you like? Transistor. You want me to write a little something? Give you like, you know, yeah. some stars. Yeah, write a, five stars would be great. great. A review. Sounds great. Yeah. You know, talk about it amongst your, uh, you know, your friends out on the ranch. That's fine. And yeah. Anyone, you know, Absolutely. Yeah, let people know. Thank you, Mr. Keen. So great to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great to talk to you guys. All right. Uh, take it sleazy. And uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. I've never said it. It sounded bad coming out. Anyway, but I thought I'd try it. All right. You guys take care. 
by Mr. Keaton. Wow, what a treat. Mr. Wow. J- Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Two of your heroes, Jason. What do you think of that? I know. I know. You were you were yeah. struck silent. Yeah. I think you were so I'm, like I'm your, really, two, your two idols. I know, it was really exciting. You, it was really exciting. The look on your face. I to ask him. He's going to play Batman again. I wanted to ask him about that. Oh, well, maybe he'll call in again. Maybe he'll call in again. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. All right, let's see. What what kind of problematic person are we going to talk about next week on the podcast? I don't know if there's anyone. Uh, Yes, next week we are traveling back to the early 80s, March 19th. 1982 and uh three movies i have not seen any of these films but they were all pretty big hits in 1982 uh the original porkies which oh i know you guys have, are you fans of or you've at least seen I don't it, really right? remember it yeah yeah uh death trap starring michael oh, caine michael and Cain. christopher reeve cool and victor victoria uh, the Blake Edwards okay. film starring uh, uh, his then wife, I believe, Julie Andrews, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, never seen any of those films, but I'm excited to watch them uh, next week on opening weekend. Dan, what you got for us this week? Fred, I'm going to take you home, baby. Bring it. Bring I'm it. I'm going to take you home. We've been talking. It's come up a couple of times in this in tonight's podcast. A little band called Rush. Really? Yeah. I'm going to take you home. Oh, okay. Now you can't cut those Rush references, Jason. I don't know why. It's so fast. <laughs> oh, I'm like Steve Vai at the end of the thing. I can't do it. It's too goddamn fast. Did you know what song that was? That was. It sounded like a little Tom Sawyer. Yes, there. it was a little yes. Tom, right? Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Rush is not uh, not easy for you know regular musicians. Oh my god! Uh, let alone uh, a, a, a manualist of your caliber. Yeah. I ambitious. Did you hear me trying to do that? Let me try. Yes. That's hard. Boy, yeah, that was boy. good. That was good. Thank that's you. Difficult. I appreciate the effort put into that's that. That's a little pretentious. That's Dip- a pretentious. <gasps> no. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. It's because Fred said that. I didn't know that they were considered uh, potentially I love the lyrics in that part. It was Tom. Today's Tom Sawyer. He paints the fence. He goes out with Becky <laughs> Thatcher and he is friends with Huck Finn. Yada, da, 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 da. Bing, bong, boo. No, those aren't the lyrics. They are those now. Are the, big, the bing, a bong, a boo. Oh, that's, that's correct. That's, that's Everything accurate. else. That's accurate. <laughs> See you next week, everyone. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.